let's kick off by defining what is respect. So respect is a feeling of deep admiration for someone or something elicited by their abilities, qualities, or achievements. After all, it's human nature, right? To want to be viewed as either being intelligent or to be acknowledged or to be seen as accomplished. There is the perception that respect in the past was gained through being aggressive. So it goes hand in hand. Historically, bullies in the workplace and such toxic workplaces has been a culture in the headlines, especially in certain sectors like financial services or in sales even. So you can't force someone to respect you, okay? just obvious, isn't it? This does not happen. So in any heated discussion, say we have a heated discussion and you have it with someone, you run the risk of making someone appear stupid if you dismiss them or ridicule them. This will be counterintuitive, right? If you want to gain respect for your argument and to persuade, this type of approach will go against you. So what do you do in this instance? You acknowledge their points of view, their perspective, you even state things like, that's a really good point. By doing this, as you argue your case, it allows the person to have an open uh, escape mechanism in climbing down and maybe being more open to persuasion and by respecting you, as opposed to being made to feel dumb and then not respecting you at all in what you have to say. Yelling at one another and then ripping into each other does not gain respect either. Instead, makes both sides more entrenched in their views. So what is more impactful is to understand the perspective of the other in a way where you are helping them to change their minds and then you gain respect as a result. My second point is that make what you say relevant to the person to get their attention right. In that way, you'll be much more likely to gain their respect for you. Otherwise, people switch off especially in the digital tech age that we're all living in. Our attention spans are so finite and are short. If they don't pay attention, you will not get their respect. My last opening point of this discussion for now is when you encourage dialogues on stages like this, live on Clubhouse, you consider the other's perspective and then you respond back in an engaging way. What happens then is that it enables the other to respect you and you then gain their respect. What will, we dis- what will we discuss in this show will be the following. Examine why you are not getting the respect you want or feel you deserve. That's a real thing that people feel frustrated about. They feel like, why am I not getting the respect that I want? Why am I not getting the respect that I feel I deserve? The next aspect is how do you gain respect at work and business? People often ask me, oh, people buy from people whether it's a product, whether it's a surface, whether it's a hire. Likeability gets you a, uh, an opportunity to have a call or to put your foot through the door. But people buy from others because of two fundamental aspects. They respect you and they trust you. This is why respect is so, so important, whether you're a micro-entrepreneur, whether you're a job hunter, in any aspect of careers. And then lastly, we're going to talk about how to promote respect in an organization, in the field of work and in your own business. So I'm going to pass the baton on to Sebi and we're also joined by Amit from LinkedIn. What's your thoughts thus far in terms of my opening statements regarding how to get people to respect you and gain respect in the world of work and business? 
you know, Johnny, as you were speaking, I was nodding my head because I was actually going to come in with that you can either gain respect or you can actually demand respect. And so when you demand respect and demand in the way of taking respects from others, that is not sustainable, right? Because it is a false perception or false view of, of having respect. And so I love the way you crafted the different points about uh, gaining respect versus taking it. And so typically in positions of authority, in rank, et cetera, in certain industries, a respect is automatically given because of hierarchy, right? But that is not sustainable. It's just because of the level of role or the stature that you hold within your position and or department or group. And then that in turn gives you an opportunity, if you're smart, to actually turn that taken respect if cultivated correctly and turn that and flip it into gained respect where you're building relationship and actually giving value and attracting that value back to you. Because one thing I think folks who automatically, I would say, default to having respect given to them because of rank, because of position, because of title, if they take advantage of that is not sustainable because at minimum, the folks are just doing it just because. And so they're giving you that respect service level and it's not deeper. And so I think if you are to gain respect, it's much more sustainable. You're able to have more longevity with that. You're able to have more buy-in for that. You're able to get folks to execute more without even telling them. And so I love the difference that you made up front. And I, I do, I will say respect can be taken because I've seen it, <laughs> but again, it's not sustainable, but when it's gained, it creates an opportunity for you to build a relationship have the runway to um, whatever your goal, et cetera, is much more longer and sustainable. And so for me, I'm, I'm much more of the way of gaining that respectability uh, from the folks that I'm involved with versus just taking it or demanding it. Hopefully that resonated. Uh, Johnny, I'll go ahead and pass the mic back. That's a CBN. Yeah, it's such good points. Really good points, CBN. And it, there's a big distinction, isn't it? Gaining it rather than just expecting or taking it. And some people, they can have an, a kind of perception that they're entitled to respect. It's a foregone thing. They don't have to work for it. Why should they? It should just come automatically. And that, for me, is the complete opposite of how to gain influence and respect and get that kind of illicit respect from your peers, lesser respect from your people that you manage, people that you lead. If it's just a sense of entitlement. It just it, some people hide behind the badge as well. So they say, respect the office, respect the title. And they think that's just enough to gain real levels of respect. That might be enough for a sense of fear in people to respect it from a fearful perspective of, oh, I don't want to lose my job and pay a deference. But it doesn't elicit real respect. Real respect is much more profound and deeper than any title or sense of entitlement to have respect. But I love that, Sibian. Um, Dr. Elizabeth, what's your thoughts? 
going to um, leapfrog off of what both you and CBN have shared. What I just jotted down is that if you have to demand respect, you actually don't have it. And there's a difference between authority and respect. I can A person has a certain authority in their position, but respect is not something that you can demand. And it's rather others' opinions that determine whether or not you have it. It's like humility. If I said, Johnny, look at my humility, you'll know that it's lacking in me. It's only when others can point it out and they act accordingly that you know that you are respected. And the one kind of new nugget I wanted to add to the conversation is that before you can expect respect, you actually have to respect yourself. You have to know your own value because how you value yourself is how others are in turn going to value you. Yeah, I I love that. And that's such an important point, isn't it? That people sometimes miss. You have to respect yourself in order to have that kind of respect that you want from others. And some people miss that. They completely miss that point. And then they wonder why they don't actually get respect. It's hard to get respect if you don't actually respect yourself. Anna, what's your fault? Hi, Johnny. Hi, everybody here in the room. I think I agree with Dr. Elizabeth. Respect is earned. I think that it's something that we just don't receive and just automatically get from others. I think it's something that we do have to earn from the people who work for us and within our colleagues. I think that it, the proof is in the pudding. I always say that the proof is in the pudding. It's how we show up. It's how we behave. It's our knowledge and it's our expertise. Yes. But I also think it really is about how we show up. And for me, that's about integrity. And then when we show up in integrity, lo and behold, what comes behind that is respect from those around us. But Dr. Elizabeth is right. We must respect ourselves first. If we don't respect ourselves, then we cannot expect that from us. Yeah, I love that. And respect is vital in every aspect, right? In your relationships, in your sense of well-being at times as well, and in your business. Because if you get respect as a micro-entrepreneur, when you're facing big brands, when you're facing big brand equity elsewhere, and it's hard to differentiate, or it's hard to get traction, being recognized as a thought leader, being recognized as someone that people respect in getting the results, that people respect that delivers, that people respect their word is really important because then you gain proper, more deep and meaningful levels of respect rather than lip service. So why is respect important in the workplace? Okay. The way those around you treat you can affect your ability to perform your job. Okay. So if you have the respect of your coworkers, your colleagues, guess what? They're more likely to cooperate with you communications between you and your co-workers will become more friendly, helpful, and supportive. And what does that mean? That means it reduces the stress both on you and your co-workers feel. It can also increase productivity for you and your team. And that's why it's so important in companies, whether it's a startup to the biggest companies in the world, that you have to have respect within the workplace, respect between one another, respect in terms of your colleagues, your peers, everything like that. Because if you don't, a lot of things then fall down, tension rises up, productivity drops, 
and it becomes more of a toxic environment rather than an emancipated, inspiring environment. Um, Nichelle, what's your thoughts? Hi, Johnny. This is really interesting. I love all this sort of stuff. So for me, again, with Dr. Elizabeth's point, respect is about initially loving and liking ourselves and uh, but lots of adjectives throw up around this question. It's about integrity, authenticity. It's about your credibility and your ability to influence others. You've got to get people's buy-in to move anything forward. If you need to scale up, if you're on a collaborative project with your co-workers or even as leaders, and not only that influence, there's a fine line between obviously influence and manipulation, as long as you've got clean intent and that clean intent is for the benefit of everybody. It's not what's in it for me, it's what's in it for us or for everybody working together. So I think, but what also is interesting about the respect angle is that externally, when we're networking or in our business relationships or embarking on new personal relationships, it's all about likability. So externally, we want everybody to like us, but we've got this dichotomy of internally going, oh, what if I'm not good enough? And what if I can't pull this off? Or So there's that self-talk uh, about that, that internal noise and not respecting or valuing ourselves, yet externally, we're all out and all in for wanting people to like me because I'm likable. So yeah, this is a really interesting topic. I'm, I'm really excited to be. Yeah, I love those points, Michelle. Great points that you just made. So I'm going to break down the next couple of sections. What are the signs that you respected the work? Okay. And then next, I'm going to give you my 14 rules whereby if you're not sure you have respect in your workplace, what you can do in order to gain respect. So my 14 rules of gaining respect within the world of workplace and business. So first of all, I'm going to talk about signs of that you're respecting the work. Number one, right? Most people seem to praise you uh, for what you're doing and the work you do, okay? Notice especially the way your manager speaks to others about you, okay? So positive comments from your management to others is often a good sign that you're respected. That's rule number one. Number two, you're never short of work because as soon as you finish one task, your manager or the leadership, whoever it might be, or even a client, right? because they respect what you're doing, gives you something else. This What, what, what this can in, uh, engender is a level of trust, a level of trust in your ability to do quality work, okay? Rule number three, okay, on signs that you're respected is that your coworkers ask for your help and your advice, often trusting your opinion with regard to their assignments. This is a very high level of respect action that you can see for yourself because this shows that you're regarded as a valuable person, a valuable colleague, a valuable employee who does their job well and therefore can provide reliable guidance. For those of you on stage, do you recognize any of those? Have you seen that in your line of work, in your business, where you've actually noticed those signs that you respect it? Anna and Dr. Elizabeth. Anna, go ahead. Johnny, such great points. And yes, I was just sitting here as you were speaking and I was thinking about the biggest feather in my cap and the biggest compliment to me as a therapist and a coach 
was when my colleagues, we shared, there's a, a bunch of psychotherapists and life coaches. We, we had an entire a floor of a large um, office space. And it was often the knock on the door between clients and, and a, a coach or a therapist coming in and saying, hey, can I pick your brain? Can I consult with you on this case? And we would do this back and forth. And I had quite a few people coming to me, hey, can I, can I get your thoughts on this? I'm really in a, in a pickle. Don't know what to do with this client. And it was, I knew that it was really an indirect way of their saying to me that I respect your thoughts. I respect your clinical expertise. What do you think about this? And that was such a compliment to me. So I just, I'm listening to you and I haven't really broken it down the way you just did before. And yeah, it, it's something that I feel proud of. It's something that, that you do the hard work and I think it shows and it shows to the people around you. And then the biggest compliment is when they come to you and say, hey, can I, what do you think about this case? What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I love that. And just the question from the audience is, would you respect someone that you don't trust? Anyone has an answer to that? Would you actually respect anyone who you don't trust? Misha? And that was actually at the top of my list. Thank you for this stage and this space. I would literally just wrote down like respect equals trust. And I feel like trusting whoever is in charge or whoever you're communicating with or whoever is leading the task. I have a business networking company, so I have a team that works with me and a team that works for me. And trust is at the top of that. So I think those two definitely go hand in hand. Thanks, Michelle. Uh, Michelle, did you want to chime in? Yeah, I think obviously uh, trust builds influence, builds authority. It's about lived experiences. People, I think you go into any situation expecting people to have good intent and uh, and to have the right values. And then when you've had a have a, had a lived experience where somebody isn't trustworthy, then obviously I think that one's put to bed quite quickly. Yeah, great points there, Michelle. Dr. Elizabeth, I know you wanted to chime in a bit earlier. Go go ahead. Oh, sure. Just responding to your earlier question, the first three signs that you gave are, are excellent. I would just say that if you um, have a strong referral-based business, it's almost like the results speak for itself. And it's the best form of advertising because people know, trust, and like you to the extent that they actually want other people to be aware of what you're doing. And again, respect is in the eye of the beholder, not in the person that is wanting it or demanding it. I'm Dr. Elizabeth, and I'm yeah, I, I love that. I love that. Another question from a person in the audience. This person says, you can do everything right, but not get respect from a superior based on their own insecurities or even against, or even their own prejudices against someone's gender or race or even age. How do we feel about that when you feel like you're doing as much as you can, you seem like you're hitting your objectives as you can, you're hitting your targets as you can, but nothing ever seems to be good enough and you just don't get that respect. How can a, What would the person do in that situation? What would be the advice of the panel? Anyone can chime in. Maya, Michelle, go ahead. I, I think it's about we've all got um, a scale of uh, how bulletproof we are, right, on an emotional level, um, on, on a physical level. So I think if you are – uh, the type of person who doesn't allow someone else's emotional instability or their fears, objections or doubts about you or just about the workplace in, you know, in general, because they have insecurities. I think if you can 
let go of those emotional instabilities and don't let them affect your emotional stability, then, you know, you can just crack on. If you're bulletproof, if you've got that resilience, then, and you know, you you can choose not to allow their energy to affect you. uh, And you can just continue being the decent influence with respect from your other co-workers. Just because one person doesn't like you, we can't all be liked by everybody. We're not all going to everybody. So I think, yeah, that's my take on it. It's what's your lived experience beforehand? How have you managed those relationships? And how do you manage that going forward? Yeah, I I love that point you mentioned, Michelle. And I'm just getting flooded with questions from the audience. I want to make it as interactive as possible before I move to the 14 rules on how to gain respect in the workplace and in business. And a question has come in, do you think that respect needs a certain level of value alignment? Do you think that respect needs a certain level of value alignment? What's our thoughts on that? Yes. Hi, Johnny. I would say yes. Integrity, personal behavior and values are like the three pronged components that that comprise whether or not someone is receiving respect. And if I could just jump back to the earlier person's question, as a recruiter, as a former recruiter, I would want to know who is this person who is not showing you respect despite your best efforts? If this person is your boss, I think the the advice is right. You just continue to crack on, continue to hit and or exceed your deliverables. But there are longer term implications because if you aren't receiving respect from your boss, he's he or she is probably not your mentor probably not your sponsor or coach. In other words, they don't really have your back and they aren't invested in your success. So think of your career as a long game, as a chess game. Gather as many skills as you can, and you may want to think about moving laterally within your organization and or at some point going out of your organization so that you are properly recognized. I do think that you have to have a thick skin, but I think if you aren't being recognized, there's a deeper issue there, and it pertains to your career longevity and your ability to grow within that company. I'm Dr. Elizabeth, and I'm- Yeah, that's a a terrific point that you just mentioned, Dr. Elizabeth. And the number one reason why people leave their jobs, the number one reason is the lack of recognition the lack of recognition, which they feel like they're not recognized for their work, they're not recognized for their efforts, they're not being recognized for their value, their their promotion uh, uh, ambitions are being curtailed, they're not moving on as they hoped they would do, they're not getting any kind of positive recognition back, and that's such such an important aspect. And he talks about what... Sorry, who's that? Yeah, I I love what Dr. Elizabeth and also Nichelle uh, shared regarding if you're doing everything within your effort and still not gaining that respect, there's a level of, okay, it's not, it's not that big of a deal because as long as it's not affecting your quality of work, you should be able to push on. If you are performing at your optimum level, you're outputting the work, you're getting the results, you're meeting your deadlines, you move on, especially if it's not a collective decision, right, of everybody not respecting you. However, with that said, if the lack of respect actually turns into a toxic work environment where toxic behaviors or microaggressions are being displayed and then affecting you personally, and professionally, like Dr. Elizabeth alluded to, that is when you have to have enough awareness to then address it, either with your superiors 
or find ways of really trying to get to the root of why there is a lack of respect. So I agree with having the tough skin and moving on, but making sure that you also recognize if the lack of respect is then turning into other, I would say, behaviors that are toxic and creating an environment that is not conducive to your productivity of your actual work. And so just want to throw that into the conversation. This is Sabian. Yeah, I love that, Sabian. And I did you want to chime in as well? Per and I would completely agree with you. We've all felt, I'm sure, in our careers or in our lives, a sense of not being, appre- un- being unappreciated or maybe even disrespected or not getting the respect that you feel you deserve. I'm sure most of us, if not all of us, have been there at some point. And the first thing that you can do is ask yourself, what do you consider respect as being right there's there's often a saying is people treat you how you treat yourself so there's a thing such as not not knowing how to respect oneself that could be a lack of boundaries that could be a lack of self-identifying in an interaction they're all examples of codependency so i wanted to ask everyone on that particular aspect on the reasons why people feel like they're not getting the respect they feel they deserve or they crave or they want. What's our thoughts on that? Dimple? Yeah, Johnny, I think I feel like when people are not getting that respect, I think it's really, if they're not getting that appreciation, first of all, that's really important in a workplace because People are driven to do more, to give more when they're appreciated for their actions. And when they're not appreciated, and in fact, if they're made to feel that they are being taken advantage of, or maybe their ideas are not valued or welcomed, I think it does make you lose respect for for upper management or whoever's managing you because you're looking up to that person to be a leader. And if they're, they're not being a leader by being inauthentic or being just out of alignment and doing things that are not that are not proper or maybe they're treating people a certain way i think you do completely lose respect for that person and then once you've lost that respect it's really difficult to get it back and i've seen that happen in many instances i love that dimple i really do and it is hard to get it back isn't it it's like they say about reputation it takes a long time to build one but it can uh, get rid of your reputation in, in an instant anna and misha anna go ahead uh i what dimple said I, you really have me thinking about when you completely lose respect for someone do we ever get it back i was thinking about geez, probably 15 years ago, I used to work with a lot of surgeons who I did not respect them personally because I knew how they behaved on the floors and things that they said and some of the, the, around the coffee, coffee talk around the water cooler. But I respected them as surgeons. The question that keeps coming up for me in this conversation is, I would say to myself, I don't need to respect them personally but I respect them as surgeons because they have to have good hands, right? And what I myself or what I send a family member to these doctors to do surgery on me, and I would. 
but I did not respect them personally. So it was eking out the difference between knowing them as professionals and being skilled in their craft versus respecting them personally. And if I have no respect for them personally, could I then go to see them or recommend a family member to see them? Let's say they were the best uh, oncological cancer surgeon in the area. Could I get past the fact that I didn't respect them personally, but still see them as a surgeon because they were the the best one in the area? So you you just got me thinking about this in a little bit more. Great points to Anna. Misha? Hi, Johnny. I was actually I was agreeing with you and Dimple as well, but Anna, that's a really like strong and valid point. How do you operate in a situation like that when you have lost respect on a personal level? And when it comes to professionalism, they're great at whatever they may do. I, I think that's just an interesting topic to go into. So I definitely have a hard time with that. That is something I struggle with. Just thank you for bringing that up. No, you're welcome. Yeah, good point. Kiki? Hi, Johnny. Hi, everybody. I was thinking when Dimple was talking, I was actually thinking about it slightly differently and in a very personal way. Having worked for some of the largest firms in the world, they tend to be the ones that hang the credos up that talk about how we need to teach each other, how to treat each other. But the higher up you go, you find that it applies less and less. And I think... It's something to think about is to differentiate where in the ecosystem you've either lost respect for someone or someone is disrespecting you. I can think of a very difficult project that I delivered in six months. It resulted in me getting contributing to a white paper to the FDA. We were one of the first pharmaceuticals to have moderated social media. It was a Herculean undertaking. And my direct supervisor had failed at it for three years. And when I completed it, he did not come back to me with respect. So I had respect from people throughout the organization at many different levels from many female leaders, but I didn't have the respect of my direct supervisor, which therefore hampered my ability to thrive in that environment. So I think especially if we're going to to talk about when you're talking about respect it it bleeds into so many other areas in terms of what does the workforce look like? What's representation at the higher levels look like? How does that representation affect the overall bias or towards your work? Because there's so many different layers of this. So I think when we're thinking about losing respect and getting respect, where it's coming from and where it's lacking within the organization, because some places aren't safe spaces to go and work that out. And then you're thinking about, do I have to change my entire career because of this extremely beyond uncomfortable situation? So that's just something I wanted to throw out. Uh, this is Gigi. No, thanks, Gigi. And good to see you and, and good points there. Anyone want to chime in what Gigi, Gigi just said before I go deeper into this point? Okay. So there's several reasons, right, why you might not be getting the respect that you feel you deserve or, or feel like you're not getting full stop. Um, as we, I mentioned, as we mentioned earlier, is that maybe you don't respect yourself. That's number one. Number two, you don't respect others. Okay. That's number two. Uh, number three, and we touched upon this in the discussion thus far, is your environment does not support kind of respectability, right? It might be an environment where there's a lot of office politics or a lot of gossip going on, 
okay? Number four is that maybe you have an elevated sense of self. So you expect more than maybe you deserve at the moment, right? So people want respect, they want respect, but you can't expect respect. You have to earn it, right? And you have to be consistent with it. It's no good just once in a blue moon and then think, I'll just get that uh, respect forever and beyond. No, it's a continuous thing, right? As there are respectful people, there are also disrespectful people in this world. And it doesn't matter what you do, you won't get it. So what can we do in that situation? Don't surround ourselves with people like that. Know your worth. And if they don't see it, then they can do one. Anyone want to chime in on that point that I just mentioned? Just flash your mic. Uh, a great room, Johnny. I think respect is a very interesting topic in the sense that you can buy it for a moment. You can buy it by getting that rank and that badge, as you mentioned before. But actually, if it's actually going to be worth anything in reality and it's going to take you anywhere or it's going to have any sort of longevity, then it has to be earned. I think that comes with time. I think you can accelerate it in terms of how you show up, whether you walk the walk rather than just giving it the big un when you turn up. But the reality is it is about actions. It's about being respectful. It's about being a leader. It's about leading by example and if that isn't coming, if you aren't seeing that respect when you're doing everything you can, then you're not in the right place and it's time to either move on or move up. So you've either got to get over that person or go somewhere else where they can see the true value. So you've got to give it a reasonable period of time to show that it's not instant, but that doesn't mean sitting there for five, ten years waiting for someone else to see you. Yeah, really interesting point. And Jennifer, if I could just respond to your point, I thought that was Great. I want to pick up the environment angle. I worked in the media for 17 years, full of misogynistic individuals. It was a real dog-eat-dog environment. There was a lot of what's in it for me rather than team playing and all that sort of culture. And there's obviously, certainly in the UK, a, a high level, there's the codependency between the, the political party in favour and the media gurus. So we had to deal with all of that and all of those directives coming down from the top. But I think to go back to the point of earning respect, there were a lot of people that were entitled because they were part of the old boys network. Maybe they'd all gone to Eton together or whatever that looked like. And so though it was really interesting to look at that. I would put leadership in air brackets when you're working in those environments and say, it's about brand you. And what do other people say about you when you're not in the room? It's a social proof of how respected you are and how you treat others, how you show up your emotional intelligence levels. And based on storytelling, you can have an opinion and make it a judgment of somebody quite quickly. But actually, if you reserve judgment and you're not that type of person, you say, well, you know what, I'm just going to absorb and, and observe and, and listen to the social proof of how that person shows up and what their integrity and their values are. So yeah, I think when you're working in a really in, uh, hostile environment, it's it really toughens you up. Johnny, I don't know if you're back in the room, but I can hand back to you. Yeah, Michelle, thanks for that. The, the joys of the app, the times I got uh, kicked out of my room. But just got the tailwind of that. So I appreciate that and your point there. Do we feel like some people are better at playing the game in terms of we all know that it's a doggy dog world, whether it's corporate politics, office politics, whatever it might be. But they're just really good at playing power games and the game of life and they play it better. So they're not reactive to other people's actions. 
Jennifer, what's your thoughts? Yeah, I think there are definitely people who seem to be more skilled in the art and it is something you can improve on with experience and exposure to different environments. I think the difficulty with that is it depends what your own values and ethical line is. Do you want to get there just by playing the game at all costs or do you have your own sort of line or rules about how you want to get there? So for me personally, there's been opportunities where maybe I could have just trod on people and, and taken an extra step slightly more quickly than I did. But actually, for me, that wasn't how I wanted to get there. And so it's taken longer, but I feel like what I have is worth more to me and I do it sleeping well at night. But yeah, there are definitely people who play better at the game. Yeah, I love that, Jennifer. And we're joined by Katie and, and Joanne. Good to see you. Anyone want to chime in on that point before I go to the 14 rules of how to gain respect in the world of work and business. Okay, so rule number one on how to gain respect in the world of work and business. This is a really important one. Meet deadlines, right? So when you're completing your tasks on or before the deadline, what that shows to your client, to your manager, whoever it might be, whether you're a micro entrepreneur, whether you're an employee, what does that show you? That shows you're reliable and you can be trusted to hold yourself accountable. So if you don't think you can complete the task by a set date, then you need to inform your management. You need to inform your client because then that what you do in that instance, there's a management of expectations and clients will forgive that and managers will forgive it, but they won't forgive if that management of expectations has been set and that deadline comes and goes. So it's really important to set realistic expectations and care about either the project success or the assignment you're working on. So the first rule on how to gain respect in the world of work and business is meet your deadlines. Anyone want to comment on that? Yeah, Johnny, I'll jump in. This is CBN. And so love that point about meeting deadlines. And it just shows a level of integrity and obviously commitment to work. And so the other thing that I also, you know, uh, especially new team members, new or emerging professionals, uh, which is the demo that I work with, is really making sure that you take advantage to have those periodic touch points with management, right? And so if in turn you need additional information or you need additional time, it's not at the last minute that you're sharing that and putting the manager and or yourself in a compromising position, but you've had these periodic touch-ins or touch points. So if you do need extended time, if you do need extended periods or information, you use those opportunities to get that. And then in turn, it doesn't conflict with um, the level of work that you potentially put out because you waited last minute, there's no time, they need the results, they need the output. And so you're forced to just submit as is. And so I agree with you meeting your deadlines and making sure if you're not able to meet those deadlines for whatever reason, being vocal as early and as often as possible to make sure that you're positioning yourself for success and ultimately your manager for success as well to their peers. And so I'll go ahead and pass the mic back. This is CBN. Yeah, I love that. Anyone else want to chime in before I go to rule number two? Okay, so rule number two on how to gain respect in the world of work and business. Be consistent with the rules, right? If people feel it's one rule for them 
and wrong were all for us. That loses credibility, that then loses respect. That might be at a governmental level, leadership level, from a business to business level, whatever level it is, people like consistency where they don't feel like is one rule for you and another rule for me, right? So you can gain employer's respect or that of your colleagues when it feels like you practice what you preach. For example, if you want your teams at a certain time, then as a leader, you need to be there first and lead by example. You should also be aware of the policies or codes of conduct and follow them yourself. This will make you stand out in a positive way, especially if you work with people who are not so conscientious. So be consistent with the rules. That gains you respect if you practice what you preach and be consistent about it as opposed to you do that, but I'm not doing that. Who wants to chime in on that? Rule number two before I go to rule number three. Jennifer? Thanks, Johnny. This is such a great room as always. I just think the key with all of this, isn't it, is how can you ask someone else to do something that you're not prepared to do yourself? That's the way I always approach it. If I'm not prepared to go and empty the bin or whatever it is, why should I expect someone else to do it? And I think that whatever level of the business you're at, that's the reality of it. So I think if this one rule for one and one for another is a, just a pure example of really pants management and no leadership. So I think, yeah, I think that's pretty, if you're not prepared to do it yourself, you, you need to step aside and let someone else take over. Yeah, yeah, it's so true though. I've respected leadership when I've been led or in organizations when I felt like the leader has practiced what they've preached. When they haven't, it's been undermining and you start, you lose the respect and you also lose that process of uh, being respected. Rule number three respect your peers. So showing respect for those you work with can be easy when you like each other, right? You might find it challenging, more ch challenging, to show respect for those you feel have not earned it. However, showing that respect demonstrates your ability to rise above personal animosity and to work together for the good of your team and the business. How often have we come across people in an organization, you've got to remember, it's only that piece of carpet that bonds you in the first place, right? We're all brought together in a collective and we can't all love each other or like each other, but we have to rise above personal animosity in order to work for the bigger goal, for the betterment of the team and the business. Who resonates with that point? Uh, okay, great. Anyone want to chime in? Dr. Liz. Yes. Hi, Johnny. What a great point. What it brought to mind was the fact that that 360 reviews are so important because a lot of people can manage up very well. That They've learned that in order to advance, they need to manage up very well. But it really goes to the heart of a person's integrity in terms of how they treat not only, not only their peers, but their subordinates, especially. How do you treat someone who can't give you anything of value from, from a business perspective in your eyes? If you treat them the same, then you're actually getting respect from me versus if there's a, a dichotomy between how you're treating people that actually causes instability and people actually don't trust you and uh, they don't find you as being an upstanding, honest person. So just have integrity 
Be the same person, whether you're ordering from a waitress or you're in the boardroom. If you're the same person, that integrity will um, actually garner you the respect that, that most people want. I'm Dr. Elizabeth. and I'm no, thanks, Doctor. It's both great point. And I see we, we're joined by Sharon and John the Bomb. Anyone else want to chime in on rule number three? Okay, I'll move to rule number four. I'll just bring Barbara up. I see you. And that is recognition and praise. Do you remember what I said at the beginning about the fact that um, the number one reason why people leave their place of work is because they don't get recognition, a lack of recognition and praise? which makes them feel undervalued and then makes them look elsewhere. Okay. It's the number one reason, right? So then why, in why people leave. So it's really important if you're an entrepreneur or if you, as a, if you're a leader, or if you're a manager, or if you want to choose an environment in your next place of work, make sure you want to choose an environment where it fosters recognition, where it has a culture of praise, in terms of the management to the people that they manage or people that you work with, right? So what I would suggest is when someone does something well, right, be the first to congratulate them. So say if someone has an accomplishment or has done something well, say, really great to see you achieve that. Very well done. Just wanted to pass my warm regards and wish you all the best and many congrats. So if they get a reward or they get a promotion, Give them the praise they deserve. Even, it might sound hard this, but even if they were chosen over you for that, what you need to do is be professional and gracious with your co-workers. And you might find that they, in turn, that you get their respect. So it's really important recognition and praise when it comes to respect. Who wants to chime in on that point before I go to rule number four? Joanne? Oh, yeah. Thank you, Johnny. Oh, my gosh. Love your room, as always. And that point just really resonated with me. I agree 100% with you. And all the companies I have worked in my career in biotechnology, the one thing I would say is, yes, the one thing that really made us successful in the culture of the organization, Johnny, was where we had that recognition and praise. It was actually one of the core values in many of the companies that I worked at. And when you recognize and praise others, they're going to do amazing jobs. I've seen it firsthand with people that worked for me, with the people I worked for. I believe in the saying, Johnny, we rise by lifting others. And it's so true. When you can give praise and encouragement and support for other people, um, you will earn their respect. And also, I loved your point of when you said, you know, maybe someone else got a job promotion over you and the company. I saw that many times in organizations that I worked in. And the people who went and didn't have this kind of jealousy or threatening kind of behavior and congratulated those people and really supported them and encouraged them and said, woohoo and yay for you, they earn that respect. And then they were then when they got promoted and they were brought along to the next level, people were there to support and cheer them on. So it's like collaboration over competition. And it's such an important thing. And I agree with you that if you don't have that kind of culture, if you don't have an organization where people celebrate others wins and support them and encourage them and really lift them up by giving them that praise and giving them the rewards that they deserve and recognizing them for their achievements. You're not going to have a very successful organization. And I just love that point, Johnny. Saw it so much in my career. And I was so fortunate to work at companies where always the CEO 
had that as part of the core values and we all exemplified that and encouraged and praised each other. So that's why we did so well. So thank you, Johnny. Thank you for having this room. This is Joanne and I'm done. No, that's such a good insight that you've given there, Joanne. Always great to see you. Anyone want to chime with Joanne? Say, Barbara. Yeah, Johnny, this is Barbara. I'd love to add a couple of things to. It's really interesting to me because having been doing this work around culture and organizational transformation, we found that we interviewed in focus groups two hundred forty thousand men. One reason that number one reason women said was they didn't feel valued, valued for what they brought their own. Men said, I'm leaving for better opportunity elsewhere. But when we dug a little bit deeper, men actually had exactly the same thing. They wanted to feel valued and have recognition as well. So there's a real common bond. And I also want to really emphasize that today with this pandemic, that is the number one thing. This is going to be the glue that brings people together is this thing about valued. And I remember Dr. Fernando Flores saying to me years ago, soft skills are the new hard skills. And I really think that today, really navigating that emotional intelligence that you speak so eloquently about and having those soft skills and valuing people is going to be the number one thing, I think, advantage for organizations or anybody that works in teams. Thanks, Johnny. Barbara. Yeah, I love that. And you're absolutely correct. Those soft skills are paramount and they can actually facilitate an environment where you're hiring people that then are meeting your values and encouraging and fostering a climate of respect. Chris, go ahead, buddy. Hey, thanks, Johnny. I'll be brief because I know you got a big stage to manage, but this is really so hard for a lot of organizations to do, uh, primarily because of human nature, right? Like it's really hard, uh, I think, for people managers to give credit to uh, folks on their team, even if their intent is to. Uh, and I think just some tools around that is really, I think organizations that are going to really uh, make strides in the war, war for talent will put this into their performance reviews and make it measurable and actionable. So as a people manager, I think it's really making sure that you're looking at the stats of retention on your team, who have you promoted and why, is it equitable? And I think if you can start to measure and let people know that there's consequences uh, to missing those goals, I think that's going to be incredibly helpful. And then the second piece of it is, even if it's something that isn't on a performance review, I think as a manager, it's really just looking at the morale of your team and realizing that that is something that is really impactable just by having some of those conversations and having those dialogues with folks and letting them know that, hey, we're not in a position to promote you or whatever, but I'm seeing you, I'm recognizing that work. And I think that goes a long way into creating that value that I heard Barbara and others talk about. So I'll leave my share there. Thanks, as always, for holding this room, Johnny. This is Chris and Bob. No, thanks, Chris, and, and great points. And it's really important because people, they, they, they crave to be praised, recognized. Everybody does. We all do, okay? It's not praise me every five seconds, praise me every minute. I'm not talking about that. But when you work bloody hard or when you do a good job, it feels nice. It's human nature. When you get praised, you feel good. And I think good managers, great managers, great leaders, they know what to say at the right time in the right place. They really do. Beiju? Oh, hi, Johnny. Do you feel that an individual has to respect themselves before they can get the respect from others? Yeah. 
I do. What about yourself? There is an element of that, but also there's an element whereby if someone's quite early on in their career, early on in their development, is they might not know, they might confuse respecting myself or uh, not being humble and arrogant about where they're at. So I think there's a lesson there in terms of whether with new employees, we've got to teach them how to respect themselves. Not that that's a and that's the condition where someone's going to respect you, but respecting yourselves, which allows other people to see the genius in you. So I think that's all. When we talk about training and development and, and, and things around those areas, is is teaching, especially young people who are coming through. That look, you don't need to earn a stripe before you have respect. So you respect because you're an individual in your own right. You don't in respect is then gathered based on your achievements. But from where I'm coming from, it's like trust. So I trust someone implicit at the start it's up to them to lose that trust so i respect someone it's up to them to lose it now so i think there's a conversation to be had about especially with young people nowadays with things that they compare themselves against on social media that respecting yourself is paramount in order for uh, gaining respect to the ultimate level from others so i just put it out there yeah it's a good point that you make beiju anyone want to chime in what beiju just said there no i i totally agree i think it's important to know oneself and to respect oneself it can be a journey for some but it's an important start because i think without that it's a difficult place to be in so i'm going to go to rule number five and i just want to acknowledge we've got rahul monica cheryl sharon all joining the stage as well people hire people buy because they trust you and they respect you so if you're going to differentiate yourself in a globalized world where there's a lot of saturation, where there's a lot of competition. Yes, you have your USPs. Yes, you have your skills. Yes, you have your unique thing about you. But it's fundamental that people respect you as an individual and respect your your worthiness and respect your abilities and your skills of what you bring, whether you're servicing a client or whether you're working for a company in the world of careers. Because At the end of the day, we all have one. We all have a career. So rule number five, be a strong communicator, okay? That is an essential thing more than ever before. So being a strong communicator across the board, especially when you're in management and leadership roles, what that enables you to do is that you're able to present information in a timely fashion, okay? And if you're a good communicator, you do it in a way where people understand that information and that is effective in the way you communicate to your teams, to your uh, peers. So it's really important, especially, right, we live in an era and a world where things are changing all the time. Look at the pandemic and stuff like that. So when change happens, the bigger the company, the more change, there's restructures, there's redundancies, you name it. Whether it's a startup, there's a lot of change. If you're scaling up, if there's a change of direction, wherever it is, it's important to be a strong communicator when you're setting up fins or you're setting deadlines. As long as you do it in the right way and you communicate the message well, what does this give you? This gains you respect as opposed to disillusionment because transparency of communication will help increase your trust that the team has in you and the people working for you. Otherwise, what happens is when that transparency of communication breaks down, 
most things then end up breaking down thereafter. Strong, be a strong communicator. Anyone want to chime in on that point? Otherwise, I'll go to rule number six. Welcome, Cheryl, onto the stage as well. And those in the audience, please do raise your hand or send me through your questions and I'll uh, answer as many questions as I can. Barbara? This is Barbara. Johnny, this is Barbara. I'd love to just add a couple of things on that because I really think that to be a strong communicator, there's so much to that. And I really see it in terms of as we're going through this roller coaster ride that we're going through is how you do that, right? How you can really elevate that and do it very well without exacerbating conflict, but actually diffusing it and really show your emotional security. And I remember, Steve, when you squeeze an orange, what comes out? Juice. And he said, why? Because that's what's inside. So when you it's inside. So it's really important that you manage your own emotional state and your own emotional maturity enough and they get, you know, really exacerbated, right? So really that part of communication when you're dealing with conflict ambiguity, important that you elevate that. So I just really wanted to add that too, Johnny. Thank you. I'm done for now, Barbara. Yeah, Johnny. Communication is so important, and I think leaders need to be able to communicate with their employees. And when they don't acute, when they don't communicate well, what happens is the employees don't know what they're supposed to be doing or what direction they're supposed to be taking. I think that their managers they're so busy doing everything that they need to do, but they forget to communicate with their employees, to make the time to set the expectations for, okay, this is a new person. Now you need to be reporting to this person for this aspect of the business instead of me. And they fail to do that because they're so busy in the hustle and bustle of running the business that they forget to communicate. And I think that leaves employees feeling alienated and confused because then when things don't go right, they're wondering, why didn't you tell me this? Why didn't you communicate with me? Yeah, uh, I love that. Anyone else want to chime in before I go to rule number six? Dr. Yes, thanks, Johnny. The, the ads, um, in terms of communication, especially in the times that we're in right now, it's there's a lot of transition, there's a lot of change, there's a lot of uncertainty. Um, I think especially if you are a boss or a leader of a business unit or of the company, is to actually over-communicate. And you can never over-communicate, but you can under-communicate. And if you do the latter, that leaves um, a feeling of insecurity amongst the, the group and amongst the team. And then the last Last point is to actually paint a picture of the vision of where you want to take your organization and then break it down into baby steps. People will follow the vision if they see it and it's aligned with the values and the purpose of the organization. But that's a great leader at any level. It should be able to do that, but then break it down into baby steps so nothing is left to the imagination. I'm Dr. Elizabeth. and I'm yeah, great points there, Dr. Elizabeth. Jennifer, did you want to chime in or you were just, just clapping? Just a quick, was clapping, but it was just a quick comment to say, I think there's a big difference between speaking and communicating. So you can be putting out lots of noise, updates, whatever they are, but if it's not actually clear, if you're not getting the message across, that's the difference. So I think organisations can have lots of lovely updates, but as you say, Dimple, I mentioned this as well, if the vision, if the aim, if the direction isn't completely clear, then it's not really communication, it's just noise. Yeah, just think it's such an
Yeah, yeah, great points there. Okay, so I'm going to move to point number six of my top 14 rules when it comes to gaining respect. Good listening skills. Most people think they're a good listener, but when you do a listening exercise, you'll be amazed on how much you've missed and not listened to, right? They say with sales, you should be 80% listening and 20% talking. But you're more likely to gain respect if you're willing to hear what someone says first. Each person in the room was hired because of their abilities, right? Everyone has a pr perspective to contribute to the discussion. So how many people on the stage or those of you in the audience, in your heart of hearts, do you think you're a good listener? Sharon? I'd like to think I'm a good listener. It's certainly something that I'm very aware of and I practice and I sometimes when I'm listening to someone, I do find myself that I might jump in, but I actually then stop myself and hold myself back and say, I'm sorry, continue, because I, I recognize how frustrating it is when somebody's trying to communicate with you and then you keep getting talked over. That's something I personally don't like. But also, if we're talking about it from a sales context, I think it's very important that, that when you are in a sales environment, that you are listening more. And to me, that's the difference between a salesperson and somebody who has a consultative approach. Because I know from personal experience, I've had it today, I don't like feeling sold to. And I think when you are considered a good listener, then people, potential client, their guard will drop and they'll think, this person really is interested in what I have to say. They're listening to what my problems are. They're not gabbing on trying to sell me something and actually what they're doing is they're listening to me they're listening to my needs to my wants and what I what my problem is and they're helping me solve that and that then creates the trust so for me listening is by far one of the most important skills sorry Sharon I wasn't listening <laughs> I'm joking anyone want to chime in on good listening skills in terms of gaining respect uh, Dr. Elizabeth? Yes, thank you. I think people need to be heard and felt like they have been heard. And it's important to listen to understand, not to listen to respond. A huge difference. Because sometimes I'm guilty of this when people are speaking, I'm formulating my response versus actually really listening to what they're saying and maybe even asking for a clarifying question or two. So that, and also Simon Sinek has a great YouTube about all about be the last person to speak at a meeting. It's very powerful. And if you can listen, absorb, and digest what other people are saying, by the time you're prepared to give your thoughts, you really have everything that you need to make a very persuasive argument and or communication. Such a good point, because if you want to sell your service or product, if you want to consult, there's no use saying meet or talk What's far more important is the way you listen to that information and the way you then ask questions, open-ended questions, like tell me about, describe to me, and then close questions when you want to use them. But you're not able to do that with your business or in the world of work or careers if you're not listening because nobody likes someone and nobody really buys from someone who just doesn't listen. Just imagine you're given an assignment, you're given a brief, or you're told a task, or you're given a, an action, and you're not really listening. That leads to frustration, 
that leads to a sense of disillusionment, that leads to a sense of lack of trust. And that, guess what? They'll take their business elsewhere and, and also you at work in terms of your uh, respect factor diminishes it. You're not seen quite in the same lies because you'll be labelled. You'll be labelled as, oh, he bloody never, he or she never listens. So it's really important to have good listening skills uh, on that aspect. It's really important. Anyone else want to chime in on that point before I go any further? Yeah, thanks, Johnny. It's really interesting, isn't it? So I think all the parents in the room with teenagers, often we hear the teenagers go, oh, you never listen to me, mum. <laughs> and uh, I think that that's a really, there's no rule book for, for parents. And, and it's a really uh, difficult period, I think. The teenagers are going through their stuff, their hormones, their neuroplasticity, all that sort of stuff, trying to find out who they are. And, and and we're busy parents. And it's it, I think the most utmost respect you can give anybody is giving them the space to allow them to talk and you listening with real intent, active listening. And we know from of old that cultures like and indigenous cultures and Aboriginal tribes, they would sit in the circle and they would have a talking stick. And so it gave everybody that space and time to um, be heard and valued and uh, they would talk and then hand the stick on to the next person. And we should be teaching this in schools, create that equal dignity and equal respect so that the kids learn that soft skill, hard skill, as Barbara said, going forward into their adult life. And I think there's a brilliant, uh, or I know that there's a brilliant TED Talk by Julian Treasure who talks about five ways to listen better uh, because we're le we're losing our listening skills. So yeah, utmost respect is uh, active listening. Uh, th thanks so much, Michelle. Thank you for that uh, recommendation. I'll tell you someone who listens really well and he's not just a good listener, but he's a bloody good recruiter and content creator. It's my good friend, Robert. Over to you, buddy. Oh, thank you very much, Johnny. Really enjoying the uh, discussion and great to see lots of friends here on, on the stage. I absolutely agree. And in our industry, Johnny, listening is, is everything and also hearing. You can listen, but you need to hear the, the tone, the pace, the vocabulary, the way they're communicating, all of those signs, what they don't say, the power of silence. All of those things are super, super important. Um, but do you know what? For me, Johnny, actions speak louder than work. Um, and you need to give people a reason to respect you. And someone I respect on this app is you, my friend, and I'll give a couple of reasons why. I think you have wonderful values, both in business and personal life. You show up without fail every Wednesday at 5 p.m. UK time and produce some of the most thought-provoking content on this app. And you've done that continuously. And I think it's incredible. And the community you've built in the Recruitment and Careers Club is fantastic. So I truly respect you. And for that, you know, I just wanted to give you your flowers, as we say here on Clubhouse. And for me, I want to say a separate point that respect is not the same as being liked. What do I mean by that? From my own personal experiences, certain people in business I do not like. But I do respect them for what they may have done, a particular skill set they have, whatever it may be. So we do need to make that key differentiator. And another point I've seen in business meetings, if you make a point and someone shoots you down and you don't even try and justify or challenge that original point you made, you will instantly lose respect from that particular point. And Show people that you respect yourself. And as always, Johnny, as you and I both do, treat people how you'd like to be treated. This is Robin. The
Oh, Robbie, you're always gold, and thank you so much for uh, the comments that you made. Blushing here on a cold London evenings, I really appreciate you. Right back at you, my my friend. And anyone want to chime in? What Rob just said about listening and his other aspects around respect, Rahul? Yes, sure. Yeah, yeah. Just I agree with uh, what Robert was saying, and actually also, especially on Clubhouse, I think we all are always active listening, like especially when we are on mute and. I think that's the beauty of it because we get to hear each person what they have to say and I think it's more organized that way and I think the great part of listening is that we get to hear everyone's stories and we get to digest it and then put our uh, give our feedback back so I think it's that's the amazing uh, that's the beauty of it yeah Thank you so much Rahul Michelle did you want to chime in I also want to just acknowledge Monica Cheryl Smitter Samuel, Jackie, Marina, and my good friend Damien. It's a free flank discussion. I'm going through my 14 rules of how to gain respect. Michelle, did you? Yeah, I just wanted to echo Robert's points there. I think he's identified the six laws of influence by Robert Caldini. <laughs> uh, when he referred to you, you give great value, reciprocity. You are an expert in your field, authority. You show up with consistency and commitment. And uh, obviously, Rob's just given social proof there and talked about you and your brand, your likability, and you create scarcity by giving us all links to say the room's on at five o'clock <laughs> in our DMs. Yeah, perfect example of influence and persuasion. It made me chuckle. Thank you, Nichelle, for your points there. Anyone want to chime in else? Otherwise, I'm going to move to uh, rule number seven. Okay. Rule number seven, confidence, not arrogance. Okay. Confidence, not arrogance, illicit respect. So confident people showing confidence in yourself, showing confidence in your actions, what it, it tends to give is a, a illicit respect. So your self-confidence can show in the way you perform your job right? Or your business with the competence and enthusiasm you show. It also helps if you have a plan in the event you're laid off, for example. This allows you to be bold and creative and perform your work without the fear of losing your job, holding you back. And a key aspect of this is self-awareness and creativity, uh, which will inspire your team to follow your lead. So people do respect those that show confidence and are confident people in the way they conduct themselves, in their actions, and everything else that goes with it. So that's another important aspect. Arrogance, that's another thing altogether different. That elicits a the opposite reaction. So confidence is important in gaining respect because people respect those that are confident in what they say, confident in their actions, confident in their way they behave. That elicits respect. Who wants to chime in on that point? Johnny, this is Cheryl down here with the purple background. I'd love to. This is one that comes up quite a bit for me with my clients and those that I speak with around the topic of imposter syndrome. And they say, oh my goodness, if I start to own my accomplishments unapologetically or appear too confident, is that going to be arrogant or boastful? And it's that balance. And yes, I agree. Confidence, so key. And it puts everyone at ease. But arrogance is really offsetting. So how do you get that? I always think of confidence as a two-sided coin, the inner confidence that we have, that true deep-seated confidence, the self-esteem, that high self-esteem. We know our worth. We're comfortable in who we are. And we can talk about our accomplishments and apologetically. And then there's the confidence suit. 
where that we put on. And we think of that more as a newbie if we're in a new situation. But even those people that are very accomplished and have done the same thing over and over again feel like they're continually putting on their confidence suit if their internal confidence meter is a little shaky. So I think just doing the inside work, doing some inside work so that you can just be confident unapologetically, but without boasting or bragging or coming off as arrogant. That's just an energy, I think, sometimes that comes off unintentionally. So this is Cheryl, and I'm complete. Yeah, I love that, Cheryl. Great points there. Damien, did you want to chime in as well? I did. Yeah, Johnny, nice to see you again. (laughs) I, I always try and add just a little bit of levity to all of these conversations that we remind ourselves to take a breath and let these things sink in. So my comment was very simple, but what if you're the best? What if you know you're the best? Does that mean you can't be arrogant? Of course it means you can't be arrogant because nobody wants to sit around with a pompous jerk, right? Confidence is the understanding of how capable you are without needing to tell anybody else. Let them see it. I'm reminded of my my first career was as an athlete and Athletes are inherently cocky in some regard. We have to be in in some capacity because we have to have full belief in our ability to accomplish what we're setting out to do. And I was talking to my mother, I was a 19-year-old kid, and I was talking to my mom about how great I was and how my family taught us to be humble and respectful. It was one of those moments where I was really feeling myself, again, 19 for context. And I told her, I I demand people's respect when I walk out into that stadium. And she just laughed at me, like not a subtle laugh, like a big boisterous laugh. And when you're 19 and feeling proud and your mother's laughing at you, it, it tends to bring you down a peg or two, thankfully. And she said, no, you don't. She goes, because you're not a jerk about it. She says, you command respect because of how you carry yourself. But demanding it would put you in a very different category. And those words stuck with me. And it's been a constant reminder throughout my life, no matter how great you become at anything, there's always somebody better. There's always more to learn. And if you need to tell somebody how great you are, chances are you're not. So there's my two cents. Oh, what a wonderful share. I absolutely love that. Anyone want to chime in? Jackie? I come in, Johnny. Thanks so much. This is Jackie in the Red. I love this discussion. And when you talk about confidence, I think you also, that should incorporate having the confidence to be vulnerable, the confidence to be authentic, because everybody goes through stuff at different times in their lives. And yes, confidence is important from a professional point of view. But what really I think helps and inspires people is when you can also be vulnerable and be authentic for what you're going through at that particular time. So that's just my two cents on it, Johnny. Thanks so much for having me. This is Jackie in the red, handing over the... No, thank you, Jackie. And you make an important point because um, authenticity is a highly valued uh, thing that people crave for now uh, more than ever before. So I appreciate your viewpoint there. Okay, so I'm going to go to uh, rule number eight. And I describe this rule as the Rafael Nadal of humility. Some people in the audience might say, who the hell is this guy called Rafael Nadal? He's a very accomplished tennis player, one of the greats. And it intertwines with the previous rule that I just said about confidence, because confidence and humility, they can work together, right? So if you have confidence in yourself and your abilities, 
You should be willing to admit your mistakes and recognize the quality of others. So with Rafael Nadal, which is the example that I've given, he's not just a great tennis player. He's not just a great sporting icon. But the reason he gained so much respect from his peers and his fans, despite all the success in the world that he has, is because he's humble as a person, humble in his dealings with people, humble how he interacts, humble in how he is. So humility, no matter how great you are, can instill a lot of levels of respect and gaining respect. Who wants to chime in on that point? Just flash your mic. Sorry, was that Dr. Dr. Elizabeth? Yes, thank you, Johnny. Um, what a, a humility is, what a great point. I once heard humility described as, it's not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. And I'm Dr. Elizabeth. Oh, I love that, I really do. Anyone else wants to make a point on rule number eight before I chime in? We're joined by the wonderful Molly Dare. Barbara? Yes, I think it's a super important point. And again, pointing back to Clubhouse, we do have people who shut down people because of their ego and their arrogance. And I think the greatest gift you can give to people is to be humble and needs to be a gentle soul. And you, when you talk about you know, this awesome tennis player, Roger Federer is the same. I, I remember being in Zurich, not that I met Roger, but I met his masseuse because I was getting a massage. And the masseuse said, Roger is the most humble, gentle human being. I revere him as a tennis player, but I revere him even more as a human being. And I really think that's a gift that we can all give is, this, is to demonstrate that authentic humility. Thanks, Johnny. I hope you heard that. Thanks. Yeah, I love that. And Roger Federer, yeah, he's a, a great sporting icon and so talented, but yeah, does have a humility about him and just has that massive levels of respect. So not bad meeting his masseuse, though, uh, Barbara. Okay, so we're also joined by Jennifer and Rick on the stage. And Mariana, welcome, as well as Samuel. And Samita, did you want to say something, Samita? I saw you flash your mic. Yeah. Hi, Johnny, and hello, everyone. So a couple of tips that will help everyone to develop uh, humbleness. First and foremost, getting back to listening i want to say it's important that you spend time listening to others even if the conversation goes lo uh, long it's crucial that you have to be patient there sometimes what happens is when we interrupt or we don't let the person complete then the message is wrongly understood and then there is misinterpretation and everything gets wrong there. So it's very crucial that you let the person complete. Even if you have some other work or you don't want to per the person to take it long, you can say it in a very nice way. So the, your patience shows your humbleness. That's very important. Secondly, you have to practice mindfulness. Focus on the present. Be grateful for what you have a gratitude list every day keep adding to that list ask for help when you need it there's nothing wrong to ask for help if you need something so some people they have this issue they hesitate in case they need some kind of help they feel that 
uh, probably they would be laughed at or the other person might not handle them good or their value might get deteriorated and stuff like that so instead of imagining and instead of just sitting there with your problem it is crucial that you ask for help uh, it is being very humble there's nothing wrong if you help somebody or if you ask for help and you have to send uh, seek for free feedback from others on a regular basis that is also very crucial whenever possible take a feedback from others from the experienced people in whichever field you are on a regular basis from experts when you find that somebody is better than you be humble enough to give them a compliment and take feedback from them and the last thing I, that i just want to say is review your actions against the language of pride so it is very important that you review your actions whatever you do throughout the day you always cross check yourself whether i was patient and humble enough when i was talking to the other person or uh, did any of uh, my language body language or the way i spoke showed any kind of arrogancy and then how should i get over it and make sure that i don't do it again yep that's it thank you samita for those points okay so we're now coming up to uh rule number nine and we're joined by uh gary henderson we're also joined by uh stacy do welcome uh like i said whenever i go through these rules please chime in uh to the conversation so rule number nine on how to elicit respect how to gain respect there's a saying patience is a virtue so we all make mistakes right we all do bombshell uh in work or outside of work but unfortunately we live in an instant gratification society so what does that mean if you learn to be patient with people you manage with people you work with allow room for them to develop to learn to become better and to move on from mistakes what this fosters is a, a respect rather than impatience and instant results demands that are placed upon people. I want results and I want it now. That goes the complete opposite direction. Don't get me wrong. You don't want people just making mistakes all the time, right? Because you won't have much of a business or you won't do well in your career. But it's about learning from those mistakes and encouraging an environment of risk-taking rather than the fear of making mistakes, which hinders innovation, which then limits productivity. So if you can have patience rather than wanting instant gratification and you show that patience with someone you allow them to learn you allow them to develop you allow an environment where they can take risks and to move on from mistakes that will foster an environment of respect and respect for you who wants to chime in on that point flash your mic thanks johnny and i think this is such an important point and i think again, you're probably a bit of an example on this, in that this club and the number of people that are here doesn't happen overnight. It's about fostering investment in those people. So it's investment in your business. It's investment in the people that work for you. Finding the right characters that might not have all the answers or be the finished product straight away. 
but that with the right guidance and leadership can become that and help you grow and develop. It's about that, in effect, in a smaller version of community, whether it's community externally, like this club, or whether it's inside your business, your employee family. And I think wanting that instant gratification is a short-term fix. It might get you that initial spike, that initial feeling of success, but actually, will it give you longevity? And I don't think it will. I think it's those that you can nurture, build and support that will give you the far greater success and respect in the longer term. I love that point. And that's the issue we're living in nowadays. Nowadays, sound like an old man. In my day, it's the fact that people just want like the road to riches now. They want instant success now. And this instant gratification kind of culture of impatience, rather than actually think about the point of why I just said, patience is a virtue. Roger Federer didn't become number one in the world or Rafael Nadal, the tennis examples that I gave earlier, by thinking, I want to Wimbledon right now. I'm 18 years old and I want to win right now. I'm not prepared to go through the rankings. I'm not prepared to do the work. I'm not prepared to do the travels. I'm not prepared to accept the losses, the defeats. You're right. I'm not prepared to learn from it. I just want it now. That doesn't happen. And in fact, that's a catastrophic mistake that you can make in life. Because this kind of get rich scheme, apart from playing the lottery, doesn't work, right? You have to have some degree of patience with, for your, within your own self, patience with others that you nurture, nurture and support. Anyone want to chime in on that point further? Otherwise, I'll move to rule number 10. Rick? Thanks very much, Johnny. Appreciate it. Awesome with a lot of really high value points. I was an impatient interrupter. I'm better than I was. I'm still not as good as I need to be. But to your points on listening and confidence and humility, I was listening to Mark Andreessen and Ben Horowitz from Andreessen Horowitz, the big VC firm, a couple of weeks ago. And uh, there's about 2,000 people in the room. They were fielding questions from the audience. And one of the questions that came up was, what do you see as the most valuable skill that is most scarce. And when they both agreed, and usually these guys don't agree that often, they both agreed that it was humility. And I I think a lot of us hear words and we think we know what those words mean. What they went on to explain was what they mean by humility is somebody who is willing to prepare themselves and do the work to get to that point but they're always ready to listen and they're always willing to learn. And I think that describes a lot of aspiration and few who actually do that. I've seen some of the folks that I've worked with over the years. And I, when I talk to my kids who are, uh, the youngest one is still in college, oldest one has gone back to grad school. Um, I always ask them, so the person in the front of the room, is it a teacher or a teller? I think of the difference between them as somebody who can only show you one way to get to a point or someone who can meet you where you are at your journey and help truly develop you. And especially from a professional perspective, I've worked for a lot of tellers and I've worked for very few that are true teachers and developers. I think the teaching and development piece is a combination of a couple of the the points that you made earlier about your ability to truly listen deeply, 
and realize that it's not about you, it's about the other. And having that authentic confidence that's born of knowing that you know what you know and to the point of being able to teach that if you really truly know it. And that ability to be, or that quality of having that level of humility to realize that patience requires that preparation to be able to get you to that point of really truly listening. Thanks for the time. I appreciate the value that you're delivering today. Great points there and so eloquently put, Michelle. Yeah, this is interesting as well. This is such a great room, Johnny. So we work with early years talent across global IT companies. And um, I can't remember if it was in Harvard Business Review, but this generation of millennials, they learn twice as fast as everybody else. They expect everything else, Uber Society, to the click of a button for it to deliver on their doorstep and all that sort of thing. So we need to be teaching them patience because what we don't want is them growing as leaders and not having that patience up up the chain. But equally, they are driven by old school leadership expectations. Even in schools, we drive our young adults based on the stats that all the governments need and the league tables in schools. And even before they've started their career, we're driving these kids into overwhelm. And it's our responsibility to reflect on that and identify what that looks like. We, We need to be patient as leaders and foster a healthy conversation around what that looks like. And I think the other thing as well is, like you say, do the work. It's all about preparation and planning. We don't just get uh, our teenagers into a car and go, there you go, you've passed your test the next day. You've got to put the hours in, right? It's 30, 40 hours. And there's lots of skills and, and, and muscle memory to, to build on um, being putting the hours in and doing that work. So I think we need to also identify If we look at driving stats, we're going to lose the people. And this is down from governments, down organizations through the education system. If we continue to drive the statistics and the results, we're going to lose the people. But if we look after the people and we nurture healthy competition and and leadership and, and empathy and patience, then we're going to grow these people to be great leaders. It starts from the bottom up with education and it starts from the top down with existing leadership. So yeah, what a wonderful point that you've just made there, Michelle. I love that. Anyone else want to chime in? Uh, Sumita, do you, do you want to chime in there? Yeah, I just want to uh, share two quotes. Uh, I'll do that uh, very quickly, actually. And I really uh, love these uh, quotes, actually. Uh, just two. Won't take much of your time. The first one is, patience is not the ability to wait but the ability to keep a good attitude while waiting. I'll repeat that. Patience is not the ability to wait, but the ability to keep a good attitude while waiting. And patience and perseverance have a magical effect before which difficulties disappear and obstacles vanish. Patience and perseverance have a magical effect before which difficulties disappear and obstacles vanish. Yeah, that's it. Thank you for giving me an opportunity to talk again. Okay, so we're down to our last four rules, four main last four main rules of how to get respect, how to get people to respect you. Rule number 10, be a positive force. So there's a saying, control your attitude or it will control you. How many people have heard of that? Control your attitude or it will control you. Okay, so attitudes are really important, right? Negative attitude 
negative uh, kind of attitudes and negative forces are highly infectious and affect teams massively in terms of their productivity, in terms of results. So one person's attitude can set the tone for a team. If you can be the driving force of positivity and inspiration, what that means is that people will resonate to that and will respect you for it because people are drawn to positive forces, positive things. So who wants to chime in on that point? Joanne? Oh my gosh, I love that point, Johnny. It's so true. And uh, throughout my career, when you have a person who has a positive attitude and just exudes positivity, it first of all, it can create an amazing ripple effect because people totally resonate with people who have a positive attitude versus negativity or a negative attitude. I'm sure there's been many studies done, Johnny. Thank you so much, Johnny. I love this conversation and really thank you for holding these space. Oh, I, I love the point that you just said and my pleasure. Dr. Connor, I saw you chime uh, and also Barbara, Dr. Connor. Yeah, thanks, Johnny. Johnny, you always put on great rooms, guys. Look, I agree with that. Look, positivity, if you can have positivity and show positivity through your attitude, people will want to be more around you. But I think to answer the question, like how to get people to respect you, that essentially you've got to show them, first of all, attention. And I know that sounds really cheap when we say that, but the reality is we all do love attention. We're, we're wired as children to look for attention off our parents. And if we don't get good attention or the, the attention we seek off one parent, we'll go to the other. And that's where I think the, the, good go, the good cop, bad cop kind of routine comes in sometimes. And that's how personalities are made. That's how people are quite different because they're treated and they, they get treated by one parent slightly different than the other. Or maybe two parents treat them in the same way or whatever else. And of course, there's different things and other things other than that. But I think attention that is what we seek as people, even as we grow as whether we're working and we have a boss, we want to please the boss. We want to do what, what every topic or uh, project they want us to do. We, they want us, we want to do that because essentially we want to grow. Right. And I think in order to give attention, like there's obviously negative attention, there's positive attention. Ideally we want that positive attention and kind of touching on what was said there, that positivity and, that connectability with somebody. And that's why we want to be around somebody, somebody that has a good kind of, uh, creates a good environment and a good atmosphere. I think if we essentially, if we allow people to see themselves in a good light, just to even view it, just for a moment, then you'll be more infectious to people in a good, positive way, right? So yes, your attitude has to be positive, but you have to be able to allow people to see them through you or through your presence or through your guidance, what they can be. And then it's up for it's up to them to put in the work. It's up to them to seek out people like you or to seek out roads uh, or education or whatever else of getting to that better part and best part of themselves. I hope that answers the question. Thank you, Dr. Connor, and, and always value you and, and your inputs. A great person to follow on this app. Um, did I see anyone else chime in? Um, I saw Barbara and Gary. Barbara and then Gary. Yeah, I, I'd love to add another aspect of being positive. I think especially when we look at problems or challenges that we have in our lives, is there a way that we can reframe it in a way that it empowers us or say, you know what, this might be a problem right now, but we can learn a lot from this. To have that kind of can-do positive, solve, resolve, or solve for attitude is super important. I'll give you an example. 
I have a person on my team who awfulizes all the time. Everything's awful, like glass half empty. And then I have another person which glass is half full and anything, and his name is Tony, and anything that he deals with, he goes, yep, got it, I'm on this, no problem. And he doesn't add any drama to it or anything. And that is another version of positive attitudes that can do, where's the silver lining when we're dealing with an issue? How can we create it in a way that it empowers us and move forward? So I just wanted to add that. Thanks, Johnny. Thanks, Barbara. I love that perspective. Gary? Yeah, thank you, Johnny. I've been listening for a good bit. Great conversation here. I think one of the keys to earning respect, getting people to respect you is it starts with you and it starts with you respecting yourself. We, the way we treat ourselves is the way we show other people to treat us. And when we don't respect ourselves and when we don't honor our own words and when we say things that are out of integrity, that are not respectful for us, then others see that. And they just come to the assumptions of why should I respect you if you don't even respect yourself? So I just a little nuance to throw into the conversation that I hadn't heard mentioned yet was really leaning into self-respect and making sure that you're not asking others to do something for you that you're not willing to do for yourself. Yeah, we, it's it's a good point. It's a good point to reiterate. We, we did talk about it and basically it's practice what you preach, right? The, the, those leaders that foster the greatest kind of following or, or elicit the greatest kind of respect um, are those that basically preach, practice what they preach rather than say one rule for me, but another rule for you. Uh, for example, Elon Musk, he, he's done so, so well, as we all know, and he's the darling of technology and everywhere that Elon Musk turns up. But he is so hardworking. He has done videos where he talks about how he slept on the factory floor and that in terms of his work ethic is just it's just crazy so he doesn't just say it he preaches it in terms of what he does so it's an important point to respect yourself and it's good to reiterate um okay so we're joined by shashank we're also joined by anson holly jen uh, like i said it's free flying discussion samuel monica um so i'm going to go to point number 11 rule number 11 ensuring constructive dialogues right? As we're having on this stage. So in the best work environments, there'll be times that when you hold a point of view, that's different from the majority. And that's even in the best of work environments. So you can gain respect among your work colleagues, among management, if you're willing to respectfully speak up and voice your opinions, okay? And what we can do as leaders and as managers is foster that environment of constructive dialogue. Some of the best ideas, some of the best innovation, some of the best spins that can happen in the workplace is one where it installs a culture of constructive dialogue between each other and between employee with employer. Who wants to chime in on that point? Anson, go ahead. Anson, yeah, I was trying to unmute myself. Thanks for bringing me up, Johnny. My comment coming from an old man, but I have 11 grandchildren that are millennial. And, and I've, the oldest is starting to get close to 30 now. And the youngest is a freshman in high school, but most of them are out of college now. <clears throat> And how do you, uh, dealing with, those, with that generation as part of a family, but also observing 
younger people <clears throat> in the workforce and listening to them and so forth. I, that's where I'm coming from. I agree that humility <clears throat> is a key element of leadership and good leadership can only be exerted if you have the respect of the people. You have earned the respect of the people that you are leading. And humility, in that sense, is knowing full well that you don't have all the answers and listening to the answers that come forth, come forth from your workforce to the extent that's possible, and then taking action is not often viewed as something a humble person does, and yet decisive, not bullheaded, but decisive and clear direction to resolve a problem has got to be a hallmark of leadership. Patience, tolerance, and love, of course, are key elements to approaching leadership at any level. But just patience, tolerance, and love is not going to create uh, the respect and the decisiveness that is required of a good leader. And what I have observed in with my 11 grandchildren is except in two cases, all of them suffer greatly from their own inability to make a decision and take the action to carry that decision forward. Exhibited, and these are not kids coming from lack of good parent. They're all coming from good homes. They're all probably upper middle class they're not in any way suffering from the home environment or the social environment. But their inability to make up their minds what is in their best interest and then proceeding based on that decision decisively and to a degree aggressively to carry that decision to completion is so important. And yet I see an inability or something that draws them back. They are so interested in being popular that they lose the ability to be decisive. And I, again, I, how we define that word decisive, I'm not talking about a general patent kind of decisiveness. I'm talking about firm resolve. And I would make one last point. The characteristic of another characteristic of a good leader that will almost guaranteed be, be, will earn the respect of most people in your workforce is to be right. Listen, get all the input possible, then make a decision. If that's a wrong decision and causes the company to lose money or people to quit or, you know, all the bad sides of a bad decision, if you're not right in that decision, you will never gain respect. But if you are right, even though the people thought, oh, I don't want to do that, 
And if you're right in the long run, you will build more and more respect and thus be able to advance from whatever your current position is in terms of leadership to being able to accept the responsibility for higher levels of leadership throughout your career uh, to advance not your own personal worth, but the worth of the organization that you're associated with. Thanks, really. Not at all, Hanson. Dr. Elizabeth? Sure. Thank you, Johnny. I, I appreciated Hanson's share. In terms of building or ensuring constructive dialogues, what came to mind is the need to actually step out. If you are an individual contributor and you, you aspire to move into management, you do need to step out and make your voice known. Come with an opinion that is clearly articulated, that is based on facts, but yet also be malleable and open to changing it if new facts emerge that go against your opinion. I know a good manager who actually, as he's working with his team, they'll go into a big meeting and he will point to three people who tend to be wallflowers on his team and just say, I'm giving you an early heads up. I want you to cover this point, you this point, and you this point. I'll be there to back you up. And look for people who will actually push you into those situations situations. And the last point is negotiation skills. If you're going to give a constructive comment, learn some negotiation skills. It will really aid your career. Absolutely. The art of negotiation and persuasion, it really will do aid your career. So appreciate you both, Anson and Dr. Elizabeth. So before I go to rule number 11, I want to uh, welcome the wonderful Judy to stage. And Judy is an amazing person, an angel investor, board member, chief, former chief mar uh, marketing officer of Walmart. I'd love to get your perspective on how to get people to respect you and what you've seen in your life thus far. Thank you, Johnny. It's always a pleasure to join your rooms. The conversations are so rich. And thanks for the nice intro. I've just listened a little bit, so I hope I'm not going to repeat what others have said, but I think the thing that for me that I always like to remember is respect is one of those blessings that you get by giving it away. And that requires an incredible amount of listening, a, bill, a really high EQ and the ability to listen and, and to choose which hill you're going to die on. Not everything is, you don't have to win every argument. And if, you, if people come to believe that you are more focused on doing right than being right, I find that respect follows. I hope that. Yeah, always cold, Judy. I love that. Jennifer, did you want to? Chime in as well. I was just clapping strongly in relation to that. So, yeah, I just thought, great point. Yeah, we should have a different uh, icon for clap. Yeah, sorry, this, uh, it's uh, glitching uh, and I can't do it quick enough. Yeah, <laughs> no worries. Wonderful share, Judy. So I'm going through to rule number 12, standards. Okay. You gain respect at work and those of your teams by ensuring standards of what is to be expected. So example of this, right, is the best performing teams from sports teams like we have a famous football club called Manchester United. And we uh, had an iconic football manager called Alex Ferguson who managed Manchester United for nearly a quarter of a century. And the reason why he was so successful and the reason why he got so much respect it wasn't just these colossal amount of uh, results that he generated, was the fact that he made sure that the standards the standards were in place to anyone who came on board as a new Manchester United player. They knew what it was to represent the team. 
They knew what was expected of them as an individual. They knew what was expected of them to wear that shirt. And it's the same with the best performing, the most inspirational companies that go on to be unicorns and great companies of tomorrow. They have the levels of standard, the right levels of standard. The reason why Amazon was so successful was that Jeff Bezos was obsessed about his service, customer service being front and center. And those standards is what propels you to success, both in the world of work and careers of business. So it's really important to make sure that you have standards, you articulate those standards, you make sure anyone who's joining is bought into those standards because you live and die by your standards in the world of work and business. Who wants to chime in on that point, Jennifer and Amit? Yeah, I'll jump in and try to make this quick. So I completely agree with having standards. But with that said, it's one thing to have standards. It's another thing to make sure that you're living up to the standards that you've set forth. And so you can't just have the standards. You also have to output right at the level that you're expecting folks to come back with you with. And so if I expect a level of excellence in the output of work or in communication or in behavior or whatever it is, I have to make sure that I am in turn reciprocating that same level to the folks that I'm involved in or uh, working with or collaborating with. And so there's a mutual respect and an equal uh, playing field when it comes to the standards that I expect and the standards that I'm outputting as well. And then I just want to circle back uh, because when we talked about curating or fostering those conversations, it's also, I think, in my opinion, it's it, a manager is especially effective if they're not only able to curate and foster those courageous and safe conversations, but if they also allow the team members to do that autonomously without them in the picture. And so removing themselves from the discussions to allow the freedom of expression to happen amongst team members and equipping them and empowering them to make those decisions that are best for the department and the team. And then coming back to the manager and expressing, this is what we as the collective has decided is the best direction for us to take. And I think that in turn will, I would say, boast more of that type of activity and buy-in from the team members. So just wanted to throw that in. Thank you. Oh, I love that, Sylvia. Jennifer? Yeah, I just, this issue of standards, I think, again, goes to this point about trust and leading by example. So I think, look, you've got to have a bar somewhere. You want it to be aspirational and you want it to be something people can aim for and it's going to achieve the standard that you need. But at the end of the day, whether it's internally or externally, you've got to be showing up yourself so that people, like, why would your employees, for example, do that extra mile when you're not prepared to do it yourself. So I think it's, again, about showing that idea of leading by example, showing that standard that you produce that standard and quality of work, whether it's in your manner, in the way you treat people or the, actually what you're producing, if it's a service. And also that will help with clients. At the end of the day, they want to know the quality of what they're going to get. And you've got to have that consistency. And it's that consistency that, that gives you that trust and then in turn that respect. Like Rob said, the fact that you're here every week giving this high quality level of room with great quality of people in it, having great quality discussion. That's what people expect to see. That is what they receive. And that is why you get that respect. And that's why you get the follow up. Uh, thank you so much, Jennifer. Great points as always. I love that. And thank you for your kind words. Thanks so much, Johnny. Johnny, I love your rooms. We have a lot of creatives and 
this and that and NFTs, but for working professionals that want to come and improve our careers and and um, lead with service to others, I think that this is really important. So thank you. And yeah, I spent 10 years at LinkedIn and that's where I wanted to chime in on this one because we had an SVP there for many years, Mike Gamson, who's now the CEO of a company called Relativity that's uh, going gangbusters, doing exceptionally well. And Mike would, who is someone I respect more than anyone. If, if you take all the people in the world I respect, he's right there competitive with everybody, just incredible person. He would always say, set the standard, demonstrate the standard, and hold others accountable to the standard. And he would do that. So it just goes back to earlier, we heard basically practice what you preach. And some ways he would do that, he implemented this initiative of every rep had to make contact with every customer that in their book of business every single month and then log it. And this was a pain for a lot, especially SMB reps, because they have 100, say, customers in their book of business, and then to log it. So Mike Gamson himself took on, uh, I don't know exactly the number, maybe 30, maybe 50, maybe it was 100 customers. And he would do this for several months and just contact all these different customers just to show that this is possible to do even as the SVP of the company. So set the standard, demonstrate the standard, hold others accountable to the standard. Thank you. I'm done. No, oh, I absolutely love that. That was terrific. I love that saying as well. I remember that one. And yeah, people make note of that, actually, to be honest with you. Anyone else want to chime in what just, just said or Jennifer or anyone on that particular point of standards? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead, Anson and Holly. All right. Standards. Boy, do I agree with that one. You have to set the right standards and they should be standards that everyone, including yourself, for sure must live up to or strive to live up to. And when you make them, when people make a mistake and they fail to achieve the standards, then I totally agree with Amit that people must be held accountable for failure to meet the standards and holding yourself most importantly. Something goes wrong in your organization the first thing the leader must ask is, what did I do to cause that? He quietly asks that of himself. And if you know how to do it, then you can figure out something you did wrong. I pushed too hard. I didn't push hard enough. Uh, I, I failed to anticipate. And you hold yourself accountable for that, and you learn from it and don't do it again. But you also have to hold your subordinates count accountable. And I don't think anybody on this stage likes being held accountable when you make a mistake. I didn't. I had my pride. And sometimes I'd say, oh, that, that guy is wrong, I, blah, 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 blah. But holding people accountable is a mark of good leadership. Now, I want to tie that all together uh, by saying that not shown in my bio uh, I was a substitute teacher for 10 years after I left the workforce. I started in 1998 and did it through 2008, mostly teaching STEM subjects at the high school level. And would everyone agree that the hallmark of a good teacher is he or she must be a leader in that classroom? She, he or she must lead the students to achieve the standards that are set forth. I don't think we have the right standards in place, generally speaking, in our K-12 education system. The lack of 
aggressive standards. And for the last 20 years, for example, my local high school, one third of the students that graduate from the high school and going all the way back to the third grade, fifth grade, whenever they do their standardized testing, this is the argument between standardized tests and what the students are graded on in the high school. One third of the students in this school district for the last 20 years have been at grade level or above, proficient or advanced in statewide testing. And that has been steady between 30 and 33% for the last 20 years. So that to me says the standards set in the classroom to learn mathematics are inadequate or you decide that the state test is just far too aggressive in setting standards and we should dumb down the statewide tests and say grade level is not all that important, just if they can add and subtract is all we want, then you're, the, the organization is dumbing down the standards because they're too hard to meet. And a, a good leader will not accept that. Thanks for letting me. No, thank you, Anson, for your viewpoint and your insight. Appreciate you. Holly? Thank you so much, Johnny, what I was about to say. But to me, standards are massively important personally in business and as an employer or employee across the board. Standards are the consistent thing. And ever since I started working in 1980, straight out of school, I feel that I've had really good role models, both good. I've had good role models who role modeled either the right way or the wrong way. And I feel that it's really key not to focus too much on what somebody else is doing wrong, but to model what it is that you desire them to do. So in terms of getting people to respect us, I think across the board, it matters how we behave. And on Clubhouse itself, it really matters. People begin to trust us when they know that we are consistent. And I think that increases respect, or at least they know to stay away. I have personally allowed myself to be dared into lowering my standard by just injecting some humor into a couple of conversations on Clubhouse, which you would never normally find me doing professionally or in most spaces. So just to be mindful that we are all being watched, we're being listened to, and because of social media, because people are recording us, because everything's on the internet. It's a very different world to the world that it was when I started working. And we just need to be sure that what we're doing in our employment situations or as employers is actually going to be able to be scrutinized behind the scenes. I think it's really important to be consistent with our standards. And I think the best leaders in any environment are the servant leaders who get behind their people and help those to find their way. So that's all I'll say. Thank you so much, Holly. I appreciate you and, and your viewpoint. 
So anyone else want to talk about standards, best standards in the context of the world of work and careers and business? And I gave the example of how great companies become great because they have the high standards, why great teams become great and legendary because the standards that they foster between each other and through one another and the standards that the leadership management gives. Yeah, Johnny, just on that, this Dr. Connor here. When we talk about standards, and I completely agree with you and the last speaker there with regard to the personal and the professional and how they're both linked together. And I think that, and I said this before, Johnny, I know you know this, um, that it's funny how even the top companies still survive off the one basic way of choosing a participant or a new employee. And that is, of course, with the interview. And when we boil that down, the interview, and you'll touch a little bit more on this, I know, that essentially it's the first couple of seconds that when a person walks through a door, that subconsciously we decide essentially whether A, they're good enough for the job or ideal for the job, and B, that we like them. And it's really B that like overtakes A in the first few seconds. We know that as humans, like even though we're trained as uh, recruiters or whatever else, and again, your expertise, you'll say a little bit more on this, but as humans, the kind of human part, like if the person comes in and they join with us or align with us, be it through what they're wearing or the shape of them, the size of them, the look of them and how they greet us and that, and even just how they move, all of those things combined makes us smile or greet them or shake their hand or whatever else and welcomes them really and relaxes them as well. So it just isn't incredible like with all the sophistication we have out there in technology that like to the last point of this personal and professional that sometimes it just goes down to the last or the first couple of seconds of when we actually meet a person in the very first instance. So if you imagine this, there are countries that have banded smoking for a long time, right? Like I'm from Denmark, we banned it 40 years ago, 20 years in North, North America, etc. So if you were to light a cigarette when you're in a meeting room now, people would look at you and go, what are you thinking? And I think when it comes to how we treat one another, I think we need to intervene and say, no, this is not what we do here. We're about win-win. We're about collaboration. We're not about being corrosive one another. And I just really wanted to just make sure that was included. Thanks, Johnny. Well, no, thanks. Thank you thanks. so much. Dimple, did you want to? Wanted to add. So when it comes to careers and standards, I think that employees need to have higher standards as well, because they need to have higher standards in terms of who they choose to go work for and what organization they commit to going and signing up that agreement letter, because I think that they also need to respect themselves enough to know that they have choices and that they should have standards and they should also interview their potential employer to see if it's a good fit for them and not just the other way. Yeah, it's a great point, Dimple. So it's important to have standards, not to the point where you become a perfectionist, okay, because done is better than perfect because perfect never gets done, okay? That perfect is always room for improvement. But having a high level of standard leads to excellence. And in, uh, in response to what Dr. Connor said around his point about interviewing and stuff it's very true within the first 15 minutes within the first 15 minutes of an interview and i've done many 23 years placed over 3,000 people worldwide that's a lot of people within the first 15 minutes 
the the person interviewing you makes their mind up about you and the rest of it go through the motions. Okay. So it's really important in terms of the way you conduct yourself, the standard that you keep and everything else. It's still, I would say, probably the worst form of uh, hiring a person. We haven't really evolved from that, but we can't find a better way right now. Technology has tried to replace it. There's kind of systems in play where they try to do kind of assessment centers or what have you. But in the end, people still like to have that one-on-one or a group interview scenario where they really feel like that person is the one for them because what it boils down to is getting the right people, that that talented percentage, that top 2% on their team, those rock stars that can be the difference between a startup failing. Remember, 60% in my other rooms of all startups fail in year three. 60% so most fail and the reason why people are successful it's not just having great leadership not just having a great idea that the market wants it wants your idea wants your service but fundamentally it boils down to talent that's the difference between a company which goes from nothing to something to great it has not just good people it has great people make your company great people make your business and if you can foster relationships with great people and you can leverage off that and you can build those networks around that, I guarantee you, you will improve your level, you will improve your performance and you'll raise your standards up. So I love those points made. Anyone else want to chime in on that before I go to rule number 13? Okay. It's not about just setting a standard and stick to it. Because the, the more you grow, the more you can push your standards higher. That is actually what I'm doing. Thank you. No, you're most welcome. Be professional. Sounds obvious, right? But professional in your manner, professional in your presentation, professional in your conduct, professional in how you manage situations, professional how you are in settings, professional in all aspects, and maintain that professionalism it elicits respect what happens when things go wrong when things go wrong or where there's stressful situations and you actually let yourself down by letting your professionalism go down the toilet that goes the opposite to eliciting respect we can all be as professional as we like when things are going all hunky-dory we can all be professional when everything's going our way right but maintaining that level of professionalism, no matter how much it hurts when you get a disappointment, believe me, I deal with the recruitment industry and, and the careers aspects, and you're dealing with people, and things can, there's a lot of variables, and deals can fall out, and it hurts like hell. It never, ever grows old. But I maintain my professionalism with the candidate, with the client. And what does that give me? That gives me a, a long, during type of respect because they know I'm not just in it for the quick buck. They know I'm in it for good and bad. And when things are tough, that I come back, I come fighting. And that really is important. Maintain your levels of professionalism. And too often as well, people are, they treat people in a casual situation at times when the actual situation or the t- context isn't casual. Okay, we can all have different kind of situations and connotations in the way we act and how we conduct ourselves. But this is where EQ, emotional intelligence, comes in and awareness 
of your situation. So if you turn up for an interview, it's no good just turning up with shorts and a T-shirt unless that environment is one of a short and T-shirts. Maybe it's a gaming company. It's a very disruptive. They don't do suits. Old school, right? You have to be aware of the situational context you in terms of the professionalism. And no matter even that type of attire or, or dress wear, doesn't mean they're not professional. Some of these companies are highly professional in the way they conduct themselves, in the way they engage, in the way they communicate. So maintaining professionalism and being professional elicits respect. If you go to a consultant and there's something wrong with you and the consultant is like totally unprofessional, doesn't pay any attention, doesn't look like he's listening, doesn't look like he or she is, is paying attention, doesn't look like he or she is actually the real deal, then that will not in, uh, uh, gain respect. That will go the complete opposite. People make judgments about each other all the time. It's really important to be professional. Anyone want to chime in on that point? Yeah. Jill and Crown. Crown, go. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it, Johnny, for the space. And you couldn't have said it better. Uh, that's the first thing I thought about when you spoke of professionalism was emotional intelligence, because in any business or any professional setting, you really have to have high emotional intelligence because a lot of the time, we only see life through our own eyes. We only see life through our own perspective and our own way of thinking. But when you start to get into the business world, it's really about being self-aware. Also being aware of environment, being aware of setting, being a reader of energy, because that's going to be very important, how to read energy, body language. It's uh, also empathy. You're going to need a lot of empathy because I know for myself, when I started to get deeper into the uh, music and entertainment industry, when I was starting out, I lacked a lot of those things because I just didn't know yet. I was very young. And I was learning a lot through trial and error. And I started to find out the importance of emotional intelligence and, and that self-awareness. As you stated, when you go into a setting or you have to know the environment you're going into, you have to know, okay, how should I dress for this particular situation? How should I conduct myself? Even when there's tension, how do you handle tension? When there's maybe uh, disrespect happening, maybe someone speaking to you in a manner you don't like, how do you handle it? You have decisions to make. And the ultimate decision is definitely to maintain your professionalism because I've seen so many people lose opportunities, lose jobs, lose money, endorsements, sponsorships, all because they didn't maintain that professionalism. They faced the situation and they made decisions off of emotion because we are 
emotional as well in our biology, but it's about the control of those emotions. And oftentimes people will put the emotion before the logic. And the logical part of it is I have to remain professional. No matter what's happening, I have to control myself. I have to control what I really want to say, or I have to control what I really want to do. You might want to punch somebody. You might want to curse at somebody back, but the logical and the professional part is, okay, even though this is what I want to do, I have to have the control over my emotions to make sure that I stay composed because these decisions can just alter so many things that may be in front of you that you can ruin just for losing the, the professional aspect of whatever it is that you involved in. That's my take on it. This crown. I no, I love your take crown and, and great points that you made there. Appreciate you, buddy. I love the insights. Shiel? Give me a space to speak. Crown, I love everything you just said. This is something that I'm very passionate about. I've developed an emotional intelligence program that I teach to kids and then also CEOs and athletes and people in Hollywood. And the thing that I always say most is be teachable. Slow down enough that you understand people when they're speaking to you. This is the cornerstone or the base bone of emotional intelligence, right? Because we're always waiting to speak. We're always waiting to be understood, but we cannot be understood until we understand how people speak, because then we also understand how they can comp comprehend information. And so before I was in this world of holistic healing and doing this emotional intelligence program, I actually worked in NFL and NFL alumni doing business development and community relations. And I have to handle all the chapters nationwide across the country and each and of each and every single one of them had different personalities and for me to be able to help harness their uniqueness but help them follow the module of what we needed them to do i needed to understand them to help them thrive and empower them and be able to speak in a way that they understood without me making them feel like they were stifled in any way shape or form and i realized when i slowed down and listened instead before i spoke on what needed to be done the productivity went so much higher and our synergy was so much better because we understood what the other needed so we could always have a common ground. And I feel like no matter what it is you're doing professionally in business or in your personal life, if you just take that step back and listen and just comprehend what's going on, it's going to help you hear people in the way that they intend so they can hear you in the way that you intend. And I've noticed that no matter what way that I pivot, this has always helped me thrive in any environment that I'm in. But thank you so much for having this room. And I'm so excited to share and learn. Thank you, Sheil. And uh, just followed you there. Uh, I loved your insights, put and just your sense of life, your energy for life and the way you articulate yourself. Um, uh, it, it was wonderful. So thank you so much. Okay. I go to rule number 14, last, but by, by no means least. On how to gain respect in your career or business is make yourself bulletproof okay make yourself bulletproof what do i mean by that no one's bigger than a company okay or a business however you can make yourself as bulletproof and as hard to replace as possible so what you need to do in this instance is show your value your skills the results the diligence the reliability basically become a rock star for your company where they are 
what they would have nightmares replacing you. You put yourself in a situation where you're almost bulletproof. And that can also be the same as a micro-entrepreneur uh, to a, a, a client and a company that you're serving or working with. If you make yourself that you're someone that's bulletproof, that they require your services, they need your services because you're reliable, you're diligent, you, you get the results, you're consistent, right? They'll be loath to lose you at that point. And also you can defend your price point very strongly because at the end of the day, they've seen it, they've witnessed it, they've felt it, what you can deliver and what you can you what you can give. So it's really important in any company or organization or micro-entrepreneur to a client is to make yourself bulletproof. Who wants to chime? I will. Yeah, go ahead, Anson. Make yourself bulletproof by doing your job superbly, which includes being willing to speak when you think the power is wrong. But how many times have any of us been in an organ a fairly large organization where, for lack of a better term, I will say the brown-nosing employee that tries to make himself indispensable to the boss by brown-nosing the boss publicly and privately and driving everybody nuts because the points he's approving or promoting are not the right points that should be made. Yes, I totally agree. Be the best employee you can possibly be. And with that effort, which includes, as you've said before, stating respectfully and professionally, stating your views and being right when you state your views, because you will then gain the respect from the good boss who will say that guy is somebody I want to keep around because he just pointed out a mistake that I was about to make as the boss. And I like having people that can point out the errors of my ways and in the best interest of the organization. So avoid brown-nosing at all costs. And speaking truth to power, be damn sure you're right. Because if you speak falsehoods to power, you will lose the respect of your boss. Thank you. No, thank you, Anson, thank you. for your viewpoint there. Uh, yeah, I'd love to add one more thing around this because it's being, being bulletproof is super important. There's also a gender difference here. M women tend not to share their compliments. They don't like to blow their own horn and different cultures have the same thing too. But another also aspect is that it's not just about your boss. We've done so many 360 leadership assessments where you assess, the people assess a person, the boss, the peers, the direct reports. And we see that there are people who can manage really upward really well. So the boss really like him or her, fantastic person. But then they're not that great with peers, especially direct reports. So I think bulletproof, you really need to take it at all the levels in the context. How do you really work well with people at all levels? And how can you build your brand and your reputation based on how effective you are in that? And that's, I just wanted to contribute that, Johnny. Thank you. No, thank you, Barbara. I love those viewpoints. Anyone else want to chime in? Rebecca? 
thanks for the opportunity to be on your stage. Yes, I just wanted to add my voice to the fact that um, being bulletproof, as we are, you are saying, is the key to gaining the respect of not just your supervisors, but your colleagues as well. And it's one thing that every employer, employee, sorry, every business owner is supposed to um, take seriously because that's the only way people will get to know you as a person who gives value, provide value, get the uh, work done. It's really key if you want to gain the respect of your colleagues and then your supervisors as well. Thank you. Thank you, Rebecca. Laura, are you there? Yes, I'm here. This is something that I have thought about quite a bit because I have been someone who's contributed a lot of value to organizations and has constantly found new ways to add value and build it. But to be bulletproof, to me, really means if you're making yourself indispensable, you're not really serving the organization in the best possible way because to really serve the people of that company, you're going to be sharing your knowledge and not just your knowledge, but the how-to of how to, you know, follow in the footsteps of those things that you've done that have been successful. And, and that does ultimately lead to making you replaceable at some point. But I think it's, then you're free to continue growing in other ways. And, and you have the satisfaction of having seen these mentees develop and be able to continue adding and growing their value as well. Um, thanks for that, Laura. Um, what I meant to say is that because you're, if you make yourself bulletproof, it doesn't mean you're hoarding your experience or keeping your skills or expertise to yourself to the detriment of the company. It means that you've put yourself in a position where you're recognized as someone that they do not want to lose a company. You're a star player. You're a person that uh, people are aware of in terms of your performance, uh, your diligence, your reliability, your value. And it's the same with a company, big company versus independent supplier or boutique. If you can make yourself uh, in a situation where the company, the client, their employer, rely on your services, rely on your expertise, you can be as collaborative as you can be. That doesn't take away from collaboration one iota. In fact, that makes you more collaborative. It just basically puts you in a situation where you uh, make yourself bulletproof as much as you can in a situation, in a world where there's so much changes and so much flux, especially when we're having the great resignation at the moment. So I appreciate you, Laura, for your contribution. Mary Lynn? Yes, it's Mary Lynn. Hi, thank you for the invite up to the stage. I am in recruiting. I'm in automotive recruiting, so... You can imagine the challenges during this time with chip shortages, automotive shortages, 
people not necessarily wanting to do sales, but that leaves us with service techs, shortages, people not going to trade school. So I found a way to be bulletproof. <clears throat> Excuse me, I have a cold. But just yesterday, we met with a new dealership group. And my boss said, the owner of the company said, hey, come prepared. We're going to be meeting with a new automotive group. Said, okay. <clears throat> I did my research, came to the meeting. We met on the Zoom. Sorry about that. And I said, yeah. So I found out the owner, he and his wife started this at this time. And they went from 50 cars to 20,000 cars in this much time. And this dealership is this many minutes away from this dealership. She's, wow, you did more than I did. And I said, you told me to be prepared. So I'm going to say a lot of people say luck is when preparedness meets opportunity. But I'm going to say just that goes, I think that works for so many things. Just being prepared for the opportunity will make you a star player and bulletproof. So that is my share. Thank you for the space. Yeah, I love that share, Mary Lynn, and really good to meet you. Uh, welcome to Recruitment and Careers, and do do come again. Uh, enjoy that share. Um, anyone else want to chime in on that? Bulletproof, we're joined by the wonderful Kimberly as well uh, down below. Uh, we've been going for nearly three hours. Um, I haven't heard from Samuel, and I haven't heard from Ronald or Mengdi um, and Sydney. Uh, I like everyone to have as much voice on this stage as possible. We're a very inclusive space. Sydney, go ahead. I'm, thank you for the space. I am heading to pick up lunch real quick before I head back to my office. But I love that you brought up the point of bulletproof. I pride myself on my work ethic and how I tackle projects and tasks with my team. I currently am an events manager for the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. So we put on the Oscars every year and we have hundreds of different events and meetings throughout the year. So my sole purpose is to make sure that everything goes off without a hitch. And I have the team that reports directly to me. And my goal for them is to always make sure that they are, if I'm not available, they're the first in line with any instances. I loved what Sheila said earlier when it comes to being able to educate people, being able, I think also to be educated yourself in the world that I work in, in the industry that I work in. I've done every aspect of events you could possibly imagine from sports to social events to now live events and, and award shows. And I love every bit of it. It's definitely a stressful job, but it's the outcome is always so worth it. What I will say is that when, again, I could not agree more with the bulletproof aspect. I have left numerous jobs, not because I was bored, not because I was bad at the job. I actually excelled in my field. And it was just more of, I need more than what I'm getting. And I need more experience. And my dad always thought that I was crazy. I'll be the first one to admit, he always thought I was crazy. And I told him in the event world, it's constantly changing. There's no two events that are the same. And you wouldn't want them to be because somebody's gonna be like, oh, you did this last time. So for me, I think in my career, and I've been you know going at this for 16 years, in my career, I believe that I've finally made it to that point of being bulletproof. And I had my actual annual review today where my director told me, she's, I honestly don't know where the academy as a whole would be without you for the last two years, especially in the middle of the pandemic. You went from planning events and meetings to planning the safety return or safe return for staff across four buildings. And you contributed to the London office and you contributed to the New York office. So you were a team player altogether. But I think if you show up every day, 
you do more than what's asked of you. I always like to give 150%. I don't like to half-ass anything. And I apologize for saying that. But I think if you are able to really put yourself out there and know that you are putting the absolute best effort that you possibly can, you're going to be bulletproof. You're going to, if you decide to leave a company, they're going to be like, wait, what are like, what can we do to keep you? There's no way we can let you go. And I think that in the last three companies that I worked for, one being an actual startup who I still consult with, I think I've finally reached that level of being bulletproof that I know if I were to leave tomorrow, which I don't plan to, I love where I'm at. I love the company that I work for, the people that I work with. But if I were to leave tomorrow, I already know they'd be like, cool, you're gone on a daily basis. We're bringing you back for all the big shows though, because we can't not have you be a part of that because of your vision, your creativity, and the way you just handle everything. I think if you need time to create that bulletproof experience, please, by all means do it. Cause there's so many people that I think are just immediately turned over because the company is just, there's somebody that's replaceable, but honestly, yes, people are replaceable, but they're really not. And with that, I will end my little bit, but again, thank you for the space. Yeah. Thank you, Sydney. Anyone want to chime in what Sydney just says? Said. I think not so much on what Sydney was saying, but just on the point of being indispensable. I think for my experience, we've spent a lot of time focused on who we want to be, but not how we want to be in the workplace. And for me, you become indispensable when, when the organization, when individuals in the organization as a whole knows that you don't come forward with an agenda. And if you do have an agenda, you're very transparent with it. You put it right out there on the table. People that are that truly are trying to do the right thing for the greater good consistently, and I think consistently is really important because I think we all try to do what's best for the greater good at different times, but we then we bring our own emotions and our own fears and concerns and competitiveness to the table and that blurs things. But those that are able to truly put the organization's best interests and and the values and ethics at the, at the forefront of decision-making consistently, people migrate to those kinds of people and they you never end up on the wrong side of an argument because you're not siding with a faction, you're siding with the truth and you're siding with the right thing. And typically, my in my experience, teams and organizations really, they really migrate towards that and they look to that in leadership and they look to it in strength. It's like being in a boardroom and having a robust discussion on any topic and it gets bantered around and there's pros and cons and we should do it this way, we should do it that way. And after a robust 30 minutes of conversation and discussion, debate, everybody says, okay, we've got our plan. And then they all turn around and look at the person at the end of the table and go, okay, so what do you think, Johnny? How do you think we should do it? Because that's the person that they know isn't bringing an agenda for their team or for themselves or for their division or for their bonus structure. They're really going to make a choice based on what is the best interest of the of the entire entity. And with just one statement, Johnny in that context can reverse 30 minutes worth of dialogue and, and debate. And those are the people that typically are indispensable in organizations. This is Julie. Thanks for letting me. I want to thank Sebian, Dr. Elizabeth, Michelle, Dimple, Jennifer, Barbara, the wonderful Robert, Judy. Judy's just gold with her shares. Cami, we didn't get a chance to hear. Dr. Iman, superb on Instagram. And I just want to thank everyone.